We're going to turn to Matthew's Gospel, please, chapter 9, and you have the page in your Bibles, uh, 974, Matthew chapter 9, verse 14. Just as you're turning, the context of this is Matthew, or sometimes known as Levi, who has joined the Lord Jesus Before leaving his company and his work, he has thrown a big party. And into that party, many tax collectors or sinners were present. And it's into that context that criticism is expressed. So we take up the reading, Matthew chapter 9 and verse 14. Then John's disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast, but the disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. And then Jesus uses two very penetrating illustrations. No one sews a patch of unshrunken cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do men pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No. They pour new wine into new wineskins. And both are preserved. Those who are visiting, we've been having a series in Matthew's Gospel chapter 9. And we've come to this section now under the heading, Jesus came for change not tradition. Jesus came for change, not tradition. I suppose that seems to imply that uh, tradition is bad and all change is good. I think we can question that in the course of the sermon. Let's have a look at what we mean, first of all, by tradition. Tradition. If you've seen the production of Fiddler on the Roof, you'll see how here is a father trying to keep the traditions alive against change all around him and he's ill at ease. And every generation has to face these issues, no less so ourselves. So what do we mean by tradition? Well, the dictionary, that this might help just as a definition, uh, it means belief or custom handed down from one generation to another. So then, tradition actually can be and often is a good thing. Tradition can be the glue that holds together families, holds together government sometimes. So it can be good and it can be healthy. I suggest to you that Jesus, the radical was also the traditionalist. 
and this won't come up in your notes, but if you just turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 4. I, I only noticed this this morning and was thinking, yes, Jesus the radical is also Jesus the traditionalist, and there shouldn't be a contradiction between them. Luke's Gospel, chapter 4. Jesus has been tempted and tried, and now he returns to Galilee. You have this in verse 14. So Luke chapter 4 verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues and everybody praised him. Now then, this is the tradition. That's, that's the radical Jesus. Here's the traditional Jesus. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom and he stood up to read. Custom, tradition, one thing handed down from generation to generation. So the purpose of the sermon is not to rubbish tradition and to keep in introducing change, but somehow to see them both in tension. We here used to the phrase people throw the baby out with the bathwater and the pendulum swings too far one way and they leave a lot of good things and the next generation longs for them in the way that the previous one has marginalized. However, if that's so much for tradition so that you can be filled with the Holy Spirit, you can be a radical and still a traditionalist as it's found in Jesus. Traditionalism is not a good thing. Uh, once you turn something that is vibrant into something that it becomes rigid and inflexible, then we lose out on the essential dynamism of truth and power. Traditionalism can be bad and unhealthy. May I say here among us, evangelical traditionalism can be like that. And we might look down on other churches and think that we are not like that and yet even unintentionally have our way of doing things and will betide anybody who changes them. Perhaps we can look at um, Matthew chapter 5, Matthew 15, yes, just turn over three pages just to illustrate this, Matthew 15, in the sense that the traditionalism can be unhealthy and unhelpful. Matthew 15 and verse 1. Again, here it is. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law came to, Jerus came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked. So here is a formal delegation. The top dogs from the big Jerusalem. And here it is, verse 2. Why do your disciples break, there it is, the tradition, tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Now, just a comment on that. Isn't you've been working in the garden all day, you come in and have your food. Isn't that sort of washing? It is this sort of ceremonial um, ritual that is such an important part of tradition. And look at Jesus' replies. Verse 3, Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? What is Jesus saying? But look at verse 4. For God said, here it is, here's a big one, isn't it? Honor your father and mother. 
And anyone who curses father and mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, what help, uh, you know, folk just banished to old people's homes and never visited or cared for or provided for. So they are very spiritual. It's in quotations. What help you might otherwise have received from me is a gift to God. In other words, I'm not helping you, I'm helping God. The let out clause. I have no responsibility for my parents. And when we think honour your father and mother as children behaving, no, it's adult children looking after elderly parents. That's the context. So you see what Jesus is doing. He's saying, yes, fair enough, this ceremonial washing and cleansing, it has its place. But when you place it over honouring father and mother, you've lost it. You've lost the plot altogether. And it's become traditionalism. Now, there are so many other examples of that uh, as Jesus um, has an encounter constantly with traditionalism. Stay with this and this, this part of the sermon is just to clear the ground so that we know what we're talking about. So then... We could put it like this. Hopefully it's helpful. Tradition is the living faith of the dead as it's handed on. Traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. What good is a dead faith? What good is it? We can illustrate this so well and it's impacted the church in terms of how we approach communion and the Lord's table. Turn to um, 1 Corinthians 11. It's page 1152. Now, this is so helpful then with this definition. Tradition is the living faith of the dead. Traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. And in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 2, here again is the radical Apostle Paul who is speaking about tradition. Not traditionalism. Okay? So verse 2. The Apostle Paul speaking to a church divided and quarreling and arguing. I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the teachings. Footnote. Traditions. For holding to the traditions just as I pass them on to you. What are they? Look at verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. Healthy tradition. Do you see the difference? That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so on and so forth. Do you see the difference? So helpful. So, so th there are some people who just think all traditions are wrong. And, and you can tell either their church life or whatever is always in reaction to other things. But there ought to be a, a symmetry and a balance between holding the good and always saying, at what point has traditionalism begun to impact my life, impede my praying, and stifle my living for Jesus Christ? Jesus rebukes the Pharisees for confusing the custom of men with the commands of God. Fancy saying it's more important to wash your hands, to keep the traditions, rather than obey your parents. But that's traditionalism. And can you imagine, no wonder Jesus upset people, saying, you hypocrites, that's not right. 
I cannot confirm your prejudice now. Even if you are sincere, you are sincerely wrong. And Jesus comes head on to this idea that tradition comes before truth. And here's the context. We're looking at this and you say, well, wh why is all this taking place? Well, you see, Matthew, who's probably an accountant, and uh, he's rendered literally persona non grata by society because he's a Jew working for the Romans, taking money from the Jews, giving it to the Romans, having backhanders. That's how it's perceived. And he hears about the kingdom of God coming and he leaves that behind. But he says, before I join you, uh, Jesus, I'm going to call all my friends and all my colleagues. And I want them, I want them to hear. And when, when I call them, I'm inviting you. Would you speak to them? I'll arrange our meal. It's such a time that there's, there's a pause. And you tell them. And he does. And you can't tell those of us who know our Bible a little. Do you wonder? Just think for a moment. Why was it that when Jesus went through Jericho, there was one person in that city who, a tax collector, and he says, I must speak to Jesus. Why did he do that? I suggest to you because that Matthew was so courageous to say to his colleagues, you know, I want you to know about Jesus. And you can imagine him, like people today, be very, perhaps very cynical or saying nothing. But inside, things are taking place. And Jesus is passing that way. And what does he do? Jesus stops and this tax collector hiding up a tree so he doesn't want to be associated. And Jesus says, come down, I must come to your house. How does it start? And it says a lot for us, doesn't it? Take the criticism. These people are criticizing Matthew and Jesus for doing that. There are some crit criticisms that we have to take under the chin. You should never go to a church that only confirms your prejudice and sends you home saying, aren't I good? No, it is, isn't God good. Isn't Jesus good? Look what he does for us. And I'm going to trust him. So in that context of criticism, of tax collectors and, and so on, it gives Jesus now a wonderful opportunity to give two things. And that's all that we have this morning, just two things. A challenge and change. Challenge, first of all, look at verse 15. Here's the challenge. Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he's with them? If we, all of us at some point have been to a wedding and it's a great occasion. And they want to turn it into a funeral. What's that about? What's that about? Jesus gives them a challenge from verse 15. Yes, there is a time to celebrate. And a time to sorrow. There's a time to feast. And a time to fast. And this was the constant challenge that Jesus brought. If you turn to Luke's Gospel... Um, chapter 15, you know it's this classic uh, illustration of the, the prodigal son. Luke 15 and verse 1. Isn't it so important to get the context? What is it exactly the same as what we are talking about here? It's the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin and the lost son. Lost, far from home, following my own way, as we were singing just now. And what is the context? Luke 15 Verse 1, now the tax collectors and sinners, same group, 
were gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, criticized, saying, quote, unquote, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. What's that about? Jesus, in that context, told a parable of what it is to be lost. And he was really suggesting, you know, you can be very religious and lost in church. And how does it end? Look at verse 28. The older brother is this rigid Phariseeism, traditionalism, no change, no challenge. Look at the context. The older brother becomes angry and he refuses to win because they are celebrating. This son has come home. The father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. And look at, the, look at this cutting cynicism. This son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home. How did he know that? Well, just add a bit more to make it, to exaggerate for impact. And the response, and this is a, a picture of God, isn't it? My son, the father said, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate. We had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours, correction, this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Context exactly the same. It's a challenge. And it's a challenge that we must face. Otherwise we miss the blessing. And we stand detached and aloof. As long as the bridegroom is, is present, the sorrow of the cross, the anguish of Golgotha, it will come. But not now. We celebrate. And the Pharisees are distancing themselves. They're refusing Christ's challenge. And they're refusing because they resisted change. It's that important. If we follow this radical Jesus, we're going to have to change. We'll rub shoulders with tax collectors and sinners. And who knows what he's going to do? Who knows what's going to happen to us? No. They resist the challenge. The challenge to change. There is a time for spiritual joy in the Christian life. It's a wedding. It's not a wake. It's a feast. Not a funeral. There is a time for that. But not while the bridegroom is with you. That's the challenge. And then, with that challenge, is brought in this change. Change. Verses 16 and 17. There you have it. And there's two simple illustrations, and I don't want to, I think it's rather obvious. Just want to perhaps comment on this then um, as we round this off. Verses 16 and 17. Just, just so that we know what we're talking about. No one sews a patch on unshrunken cloth or on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. The kingdom of God is not a patch up job. Verse 17, neither do men pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, not like that. 
They pour new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. Okay. Simple illustration. Two simple illustrations. Christ did not come with a patch-up job, but to bring new life, new birth, new kingdom, new relationship, a new commandment of love, a new order that one day will find its fulfillment beyond this life. But the old is inflexible and rigid and brittle. The new is supple and accommodating. Well, the, the image is so, so obvious, isn't it? The image of the wineskins speaks about this spiritual fullness, fullness, full, bursting. And the Jewish religion which, which, which cradled the, 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 the truth of the, of the kingdom must hand on now to the Messiah. But they refused to see him. The old is passed away. The new has come. If we think we can keep the old and fill it with the new, we will lose both. It will burst. It's too brittle. It's too rigid. It's inflexible. It cannot accommodate for this power and dynamism. So let's think for a moment of this, these two illustrations. The first of all, the new patch on an old garment. Uh, some of us are old enough to remember um, how this used to work and now you can buy cloth that's already shrunken for the most part but it wasn't so years ago and God is a God of freshness and change and, and even from the Old Testament it speaks about a new song a new heart a new spirit a new covenant some people think there's a sort of a division between old and new, but they, they merge and they dovetail together. When you get to the New Testament, it speaks of a new birth, a new creation, new commandment, a new heaven and a new earth. And one of the last references in the book of Revelation, God who says, I make all things new. All things new. Um, when I had a phone call from Alan Gibson who was saying about Jacqueline's youngest brother who, who had died. And the night before he died, his, one of his daughters sat all night and just quietly read through the whole book of Revelation. And when you think about it, it's a picture of heaven. The glory of heaven. With all the imagery, often hard to understand. But speaking of an altogether different order that is bearing in upon us. Behold, I make all things new. The trouble, however, with traditionalism is it tends to resist the new and retain the old and miss the blessing. Do you remember the children of Israel with the bronze serpent 
when the plague had come into the camp and, and, and the Lord said to Moses, put a bronze serpent out and all who look on that will live. Do you know what the children of Israel did from there on? God used that. And it had its day, but they took it with them. They carried it with them. And then they worshipped this. They made something of it. They pushed it too far. And we tend to do that. For, for years the Israelites dragged the serpent around. They revered it as a god for years until God challenged them and broke their tradition. New patch, old garment speaks about wholeness. Wholeness. No tears. No rift. And the new wine and the old wineskin speaks about fullness. Do you see the picture? Wholeness, seamless, fullness, plenty. That's his kingdom. It's a simple illustration, I know. New wineskins are essentials, not options. Every generation, think about our own today, here we are. Every generation has been tempted to restrict God's dealings. I think most of us, most of us are maintainers, not innovators, not entrepreneurs. We're maintenance people. We're not risk takers. We admire people who do that. But for the most part, and it's not wrong, we, we play safe. That's why entrepreneurs, the Alan Sugars of this world, are admired so much sometimes. We are maintainers, not entrepreneurs. And the danger of that cumulatively is we build up around us our embellishments. Oh yes, they're in the Bible. But somehow we play it safe with God as well. It's a comfortable religion. It's resistant to change. And it refuses to accept a challenge. I think that's why traditionalism appeals to the majority. Let's personalize this as we conclude. It's, these are not parables, they are just simple illustrations. Let me put it to you like this by way of a question. Is your wine fresh? A living expression of living faith? Or is it something that you've had a generation ago and it really doesn't challenge you, doesn't change you? It might comfort you, but not much more. Or are you tapping into this new, bubbling, sparkling wine of the kingdom? The new wine for a new kingdom, for a new generation? Or is our faith flat, bland, tasteless, harmless? What about wineskins? Are we brittle? We don't like people challenging us about 
our spiritual life. It's okay. We, we're happy keeping Jesus at arm's length because we don't want to be extreme. But we slot into traditionalism so quick. Are we rigid? Brittle? Or are we open to change and challenge? How willing are we to take a risk? You could call it faith. In other words, you're going to do something and you, you, you really don't know what the outcome is going to be. How quickly will you strike out in response to a new direction as God challenges you? Jesus came for change. Not traditionalism. Not prejudice. And to shatter our preconceptions and to say to us and just this, trust me. Trust me. I am with you. I'm with you now. Trust me. I hope that we can do that with these simple illustrations.